0: Alright, at this time our children ages three to eight years old are dismissed for children's church. So you can go on down. Miss Peggy's gonna be leading children's church down there today. You guys hearing me okay? I haven't been felt I haven't been feeling like I've been being heard. Are you guys hearing me okay? I feel like you guys are either asleep or you're not hearing me. Turn it up. <laughs> okay, there we go. Let <laughs> me make sure. Well, I really appreciate that last hymn. God leads us along. It really kind of gives you a picture of, um, actually gives you uh, one vignette of uh, life at sea. And it reminds me of, it reminds me of a story that Victor Hugo wrote. You may be familiar with Victor Hugo. He wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, that novel, and you know it's been animated and all that stuff. But uh, there was another novel he wrote called The 93, and in that story, it tells of a ship that was. Uh, Lost, not lost at sea, but uh, was at sea, and, and it was a very dangerous storm that came up. And the sailors were already uh, frightened by this storm. But during the, at the height of the storm, they hear this loud crash below, and uh, they immediately know what it is. They know that a cannon that they were carrying in the cargo hold was loose, and it, with every sway of the ship, don't throw up, <laughs> gets uh, with the boat, It, with the cannon, this heavy mass, was slamming against the sides of the boat. And uh, they realized that the sailor that was responsible of tying up that cannon did not do his job. That could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But uh, anyway, this cannon is going back and forth as the boat is being tossed to and fro. And this brave sailor, and, probably an, and I believe another one, went down to... Tie this cannon back to the side of the boat. And can you imagine that? I mean, you're in the likes of getting run over by the cannon yourself. But they did successfully tie it up and were able to uh, save the ship because those and those sailors were willing to put their life at risk and to go and to tie up this uh, cannon because they knew that the that the danger below was worse than the danger outside. They feared that that cannon was going to sink the ship if it wasn't tied up. And you know, the same is true when we're going through um, difficulties in our life. I know that you may not, being in rural Colorado, you may not be stuck in a boat in the middle of a storm, okay? Uh, but you know what? We do face storms in life, don't, do not we not? Uh, difficulties in life that are beyond our control, and sometimes even when we're doing God's will. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is actually the disciples of Christ um, are going to find themselves in a storm at sea because they were following the will of God. And Jesus brings great peace and calm as He leads them along. Uh, And we see this great test. Um, I titled this message, The Master of the Deep, because Jesus truly is the master of the deep areas of our life, that when we are um, in the ditch or aware in difficulty, Jesus is there with us. And Jesus can be trusted uh, in your storms of life. Uh, What I was trying to illustrate with that story is that our greatest problems in life are not the ones that are around us when we're going through difficulties. A lot of times if we're having uh, difficulties in our marriage, who do we blame? Our spouse, don't we? Uh, if we are going through difficulties at work, who do we blame? Our boss. If we're having trouble raising our kids, or our kids are having a hard time um, following the rules or with their schoolwork, who do they blame? Their parents or their teachers, right? We're always looking at people to throw the stones at, but a lot of times, uh, and most of the time, the greatest problem that is going on, the greatest threat to us is not the ones that are around us, but the ones that are within. And it is the unbelief or the lack of faith in our own heart, in the Word of God, and in God Himself. Storms of difficult times will come into your life. You can count on that. There is no doubt about it. But lack of faith in Jesus Christ will shipwreck you when you go through those uh, storms of life. Uh, lack of faith in Jesus Christ will cripple you by fear. You'll be crippled by frustration. You'll be crippled by failure. And you must put your confidence in the Lord, the Master of the deep, in order to have victory and prevail through those storms of life. Here in the Gospel of Mark, as we have been studying the ministry and the life of Jesus, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The purpose of this Gospel that Mark relates to us is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, Mark is trying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to present Jesus as the Son of God. And if you'll look a little bit further down in verse 11, it says that Jesus is the Son of God. A voice, when He was baptized, came from heaven in verse 11 of chapter 1, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, His disciples, uh, the people there at His baptism should have known that He was God's Son. That He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And Jesus has been revealing who He is throughout this Gospel. In chapter 1, verse 25, He reveals that He has power over Satan. Okay, He is more powerful than Satan. He has power over demons. He has power over illness. He heals Peter's mother-in-law in chapter 1, verse 31. She's sick of a fever. He heals her and many others. Also, in chapter 1, verses 41 through 42, Jesus shows that He has power over disease, that He can heal the disease of leprosy or any uh, disease or infliction that someone has. In chapter 2, verse 5, He has power to forgive sins. He has power to forgive someone's sins and also to heal the paralyzed. In chapter 2, verse 5, with the paralyzed man. In chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, Jesus declares that He is the Lord of the Sabbath and He has power and authority even over the Sabbath day because He is the Lord. And then here in verses 35-41, through He shows that He has power over nature. This is His first time really showing that He has power over nature. And so this is very distinct from the other miracles that Jesus has done and we walk away from this miracle and we say, wow, Jesus must be God. He must be the Son of God. But we're going to see that disciples still were not getting it completely. As we study uh, ver- chapter 4, verses 35-41, through 41, you're going to see that Jesus is the master of every situation. He's not just the master of sickness. He's not just master in spiritual battles. He's the master of every situation that you're going to face. And you must trust in Him and put your confidence in Him. Verses 35 and 36, uh, we see that we must trust in His command in difficult times. Verse 35 of chapter 4 says, in the same day when the evening was come, Jesus saith unto His disciples, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took Him even as He was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Uh, This is the end of one busy, enormous day. Uh, This is one day that we really have been preaching about uh, through the last three or so Sundays as we've been talking about the ministries of Christ when he shares the parable of the four soils and these other parables that I preached on last week. This day actually started in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. If you'll take a look there. Uh, it says, In the multitude, this is uh, taking place in Capernaum, northwest part of uh, the Sea of Galilee. You need to remember that. It's going to be significant a little bit later. But in verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, In the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Uh, the verse before that says that they were in a house. Okay, So Jesus is in a house in Capernaum, and there's so many people surrounding that house to hear the Lord Jesus, to be healed by the Lord Jesus, that they're impositioning Him so much that He doesn't even have time, Him and His disciples, to even eat. And we preachers today complain that we're busy. You know, The Lord Jesus was a busy man. Okay, And He starts His day with these people coming and He can't even have breakfast, lunch, and probably supper. And eventually, uh, later on in the day, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, It says that he moves to the seaside because there's so many people in the city. He has to withdraw from the the town of Capernaum uh, to really facilitate the multitudes there. In verse 1 of chapter 4 it says, And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude. So they entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So as I've been preaching the last couple of weeks on the... Parable of the Four Soils and the other parables. Jesus has gave all those sermons and all those all those teachings from a boat. Okay, he's preaching in a boat on the shore of Galilee, and, and the waters and the waves are carrying and amplifying his voice. And he has been ministering to multitudes. But now, according to Mark chapter four verse thirty-five, he has come to the evening time. It's sundown in uh, that area of the Sea of Galilee by Capernaum and the sun is setting, and this time of evening would have taken place between 6 o'clock and 9 o'clock, basically from sundown to dark. And Jesus and His disciples were exhausted. Uh, We see really the human side of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we're also going to see His divine side as well. But here we see that He is tired. And uh, His disciples are obviously exhausted as well. And Jesus has taught the crowd. Crowds all day long. And we even see that even in the massing of all these crowds in verse 36, there were also with him other little ships. People were even in little boats. Okay, he's in a boat, and people start getting in these boats, and they're surrounding him so they can hear him even better. Okay? I mean, he's just drawing these massive crowds. And Jesus says in verse 35, Let us pass over unto the other side. And I believe he's talking to the twelve apostles that he has called previously. Jesus says, let us pass over unto the other side. Jesus decides to withdraw from, from Capernaum, which is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's really a big lake. okay? And he says to go to the other side. And we're going to see in chapter 5 that where, he, where he goes is to Gadara. Okay? He goes to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Some have calculated of a boat trip of 11 to 12 miles. And this other sea, uh, this other side of the Sea of Galilee was less populated. It didn't really have cities or towns like Capernaum that were more populated. So it was going to be less populated along the shore. And then also it was Gentile country or non-Jewish territory. So some, you know, his disciples may have thought, oh, maybe we're going to the Gentiles to minister to them. Maybe we're just trying to get away for a retreat. And they're probably... Um, they're probably reading a lot into his command. And actually, I believe that they entirely misunderstood his command. And we'll see this a little bit later. But first of all, they misunderstood the command's intent. The command that he gives here, let us pass on the over onto the other side. I think they totally missed the intent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples saw the crowds as a threat. They saw these crowds as just putting pressure on them, exhausting them, and, and positioning them. And so when Jesus gives this command, they think Jesus is leaving solely so that they can have rest and relaxation. And part of that is true. We're going to find that Jesus does sleep on the boat that they're going to be on. But Jesus, when He says, gives this command, He planned to put their faith to the test, not to give them some rest. And so their lack of faith, um, and so we see here that we're going to see here in just a little bit that their real threat in life was their lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to use this storm to flesh that out. Okay. Uh, the second thing they misunderstood about His command was the promise that was inherent in that command. Uh, let me reword it another way. Instead of "Let us pass over unto the other side." Uh, really, as the Son of God, He's saying, we will pass over unto <laughs> the other side. Uh, and they should have remembered that a little bit later on when the storm came. Uh, in the storm, that we're going to see that the disciples doubt His word here. Uh, they don't think that they're going to the other side. They think that they're passing over to drown instead of going onto the other side. And you know, I really think that we are in that same kind of boat a lot of times. It's real easy when the sun is set. You know, it's sundown. We're on the water. The waters are calm. It's like it's, it's peaceful and calm and everything. And Jesus says, let us pass over to the other side. And we're like, sure, let's go relax and let's have this cruise across the Lake of Galilee. And we just have that mindset. But when the storms of life come, you know, and when we lose control, we're going to see that they lose control. They, as experienced fishermen, they are way over their heads. They start to freak out and they start doubting what Jesus said originally. They really believe that they're going to die. They are going to say, why do you not care that we're, going, that we're perishing? They really believed that Jesus uh, was not in control. And the fact that we're going to see a little bit later on is that no force in nature will ever thwart the will of Christ. I wanted to just read from Psalm 37. As we look at the Word of God, it does reveal His will to us. And um, I wanted just to read a couple of verses from Psalm 37. And we must remember that God's work. We must remember God's Word in difficult times. And the fact is, is that because you're a believer and you are doing God's will doesn't mean that you're not going to face obstacles or difficulties in life. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. That first verse says that God is directing our steps and, uh, the steps of a good man are going to be ordered by the Lord and he's going to delight in the way of the Lord. Okay? But verse 24, those, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David writes this, King David, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And it's these kind of verses that we need to remember when we're going through difficult times is that the Lord doesn't leave us nor forsake us when we're doing His will. And we must keep His Word at hand and we need to have it hidden in our hearts. You will face difficulties in obeying God's will, but you must face these difficulties trusting in His Word. And Christ is preparing them for this. I know they're not in the storm yet, but they were being prepared to trust in His Word. See, they have been hearing the teaching of Christ. And there's one thing to coming to church and hearing sermons and hearing the Word of God or even studying it for yourself. But the Lord will put His people to attest sometimes to flesh out really what they understand and really re, uh, flesh out how much they really are trusting in his word and in him. Verses thirty-seven through thirty-eight, uh, we also are called to trust in his care in difficult times. Verse thirty-seven says, "And there, all, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full." Yeah, you hear that wind? Okay. I think that was one of my kids, sorry. Good job, right on cue. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Uh, We see here in these uh, two verses two threats to the fishermen and to the disciples of Christ. First of all, a great storm of wind. Uh, this word great actually is the Greek word mega. This is literally a mega storm, okay? This is a mega storm of wind, literally in this, in this verse, verse 37. Now, the Sea of Galilee was about at uh, 600 feet below sea level. Think about Mount Hermon, uh, which is the source, the snow uh, fall from Mount Hermon, uh, which is the headwaters of the Jordan River. Uh, 9,000 feet above sea level. So it's dropping, it's going down as it progresses towards the Sea of Galilee and and eventually is feeding the Jordan River after that. But um, because the Sea of Galilee was 600 feet below sea level um, and also it was surrounded by higher elevation, lands of higher elevation, highlands, highlands, it was prone in the little gaps that it would be between the little valleys and ravines, Um, it was prone to draw that air below to the Sea of Galilee because it was at a lower elevation. And so you got cold air being sucked down to this warm water and really that wind was like a funnel. Uh, Those ravines were like a funnel to draw the wind down upon the waters and so when we read in verse 37 that there arose a great storm that word arose is actually described in the original language as something being done suddenly unexpectedly with surprise. And the fishermen four of the four of the 12 disciples of the of the apostles were fishermen experienced fishermen and they would have expected a storm if they would have been familiar with these storms they had probably been through gale force winds which according to the national weather service you know starts at 35 miles an hour to go to 50 miles an hour you know they were probably pretty you know okay with that even though they were on fairly small boats but they were totally surprised by this storm and just how sudden it came up and they were definitely in fear of it as we read Verses 37 and 38, many commentators believe that they were facing hurricane-force winds, which according to the National Weather Service today, now they didn't measure this back then, but uh, today hurricane-force winds start at 75 miles an hour. And I know that we don't really have this experience of being on boats a whole lot. I have been on a couple of nature cruises off the coast of South Carolina, and I've I went on the Staten Island Ferry. Uh, I remember my first mission trip to North uh, New York, North Carolina, uh, New York. Uh, we went there as a teenager. I was unsaved at that point, but we were on the Staten Island Ferry going to the Statue of Liberty, and it actually was stormy that day. And it really wasn't that bad, but the waves were swelling, and and I tell you, we were going. I'm not really a seasick person or a car sick person, but I was getting there, you know. So we're on there, and we're just going back and forth, back and forth. And this, this person that wasn't part of our church group threw up on the side of the, of the ferry. And I'm just like, that's what made me start getting nauseous, you know. Just the thought and the sight of that, just like, everyone is in the middle, as close as they can to the middle of the ferry, and we we got by there. But it was just cloudy, raining a little bit. It wasn't any real gale force winds. And people were already getting sick. So I mean, I hope you'll just kind of imagine with me kind of how the uh, disciples felt and kind of how it was there on the Sea of Galilee. And they were facing this great threat of a a great storm or violent wind. Um, And this wind, of course, created great waves. It says the waves beat into the ship. And that word um, beat means to rush. And it's actually written in a tense that says... That it happened in the past, but it was going over and over again. And so these waves were just rushing in and rushing in and rushing in. And they were in the process of filling this boat up with water. (laughs) Okay? They're taking on water as these hurricane-force winds are sweeping across the Sea of Galilee. And it says in this verse, Jesus was sleeping in the hinder part or the stern of the ship on a pillow. Now... To describe a little bit what the boat may have been like, I don't know exactly. I can't be that dogmatic. But in 1986, um, archaeologists did discover, actually they didn't dig it up, it was actually because of a drought at the Sea of Galilee close to Capernaum on that northwest corner. They found a Galilean fishing boat in 1986. And let me give you some of the dimensions here. Uh, This Galilean fishing boat was almost 27 feet long. That's about the length of a UPS truck probably, 27 foot long, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, also, seven and a half feet wide, and then four and a half feet, or about five feet uh, high. Uh, it had a mast and a sail. The Gospel of Luke tells us that this boat did have a sail. And um, also, the Galilean fishing boats were normally made out of cedar wood. Okay, and um, It was designed for four rowers and a helmsman. Okay, so... Just like your canoe, you know, you seat, you seat your, uh, your two guys, one in the front, one in the back, uh, one in the middle, and then, and that's optional, but you have a guy in the back to steer, right? Okay, you got the oar. Well, that's kind of how it was in this fishing boat. But you had four rowers, okay, so you could really pick up some speed, and you had this helmets in the back, and he sat on a leather pillow. That's where Jesus is. And this hinder part was, um, it had a raised deck, so you have kind of like a hollow, part where the rowers sit and then you have this raised deck in the back where the helmsman sits and he steers the boat. And this is where Jesus is, uh, is laying down and he's sleeping on this raised portion of the boat. And we see here in verse 30, 38 that the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Master, carest thou not that, we are, that we're perishing? That we're going to drown? And they greatly resent The posture of the Lord Jesus. They greatly resent that His composure and the fact that He can lay down and sleep soundly during such a storm. But uh, but the thing is, is that their their thinking is so bizarre. And you know, we think about how the disciples are acting here. I mean, Jesus is in the boat with them, and they think that Jesus doesn't care at all. I mean, He's going to go down with the boat too, you know. But they're Thinking is so bizarre. And they go to him and they doubt and they wonder, man, does he not have any concern for us? Is he just going to abandon us and just ignore what's going on? I don't even think we can trust in him. And you know, we are sometimes in those boats as well in financial troubles, marital troubles, whatever difficulties we may have, uh, what kind of challenges that we're facing at work, on the farm, on the ranch, whatever it may be, um, that we go into them, and we're like, Jesus, do you not care? And as Christians, as children of God, we come to Him and we 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 say that kind of thing, and it's so bizarre. Because as children of God, how do we trust Him? We trust in Him for to we trusted in Him to pay the, that He paid the penalty for our sins, but we can't trust Him to take care of our problems in life, you know. You can see the double standard and how bizarre that is. We don't trust Him to sustain us. We don't trust Him to be concerned about what is going on. Jesus doesn't abandon you in the storms of life. He's always near because He's the Son of God. Isaiah 43 verse 2 sounds very familiar uh, to this. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, God says. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, they shall not and thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And we say, you know, that's really easy for you to say, Pastor John, when Jesus is not here. But you know what? Jesus was there for the disciples. He was there in the boat with them. And they still did not trust Him. And I, I know that you think that you are pretty good, you know, and that you're pretty spiritual. And I think that way a lot of times of myself. But you know what? I think if we were in that boat with the disciples, I think we probably would have done the same thing. Amen? I think we would have too. You know, we lose our composure when our Sunday mornings don't go the way we planned. We lose our composure when our spouse gets sick. We lose our composure when our kids throw up on the way to church. You know? And we criticize the disciples when they're about to drown. You know, we we have those kind of things go on and we lose our composure. And Jesus demonstrates exactly uh, what a believer should do and and the composure they should have in great difficulty. We see that He demonstrates the peace God gives to His children in great difficulty. He lays down and He sleeps. Psalm 4, verse 8, actually sounds very familiar. It says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And this was written by King David, a descendant of, ancestor of Christ, I said that wrong, ancestor of Christ, and um, and his lineage, but also King David, you think about the trials he went through, being pursued by King Saul, who was jealous, because he had been anointed as the next king, and was trying to take uh, his life away. And as I think about this point here, that we not only need to trust in the words or the commands of Christ, His leadership and His Word, but also in His care. I think about His care. How many times do we as Christians lose our composure and our peace? And what does the world see when we lack such faith? They see that our God sure is small. They see that we really don't have much faith or our faith is very limited in the Word of God and in our Savior Jesus Christ. The third point here that I want to bring up is that we must trust in His control in our difficult times as well. Uh, his command, the commands He gives us, it's so easy during difficult times to jettison and say, you know what, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's working for me, I'm I'm just getting rid of this, I'm going to do my own thing. And we just jettison God's commands and His will for our lives sometimes also we doubt and we question God's care for us but then we also do question his control of our difficulties and our cares. Um, there was an oil man who whose oil well in Ohio caught on fire and there was and the fire really got out of control. Um, it was burning up many acres and um, it was just a real crisis and he really wanted it to be put out quickly, and so he offered a reward for whoever would put it out the quickest. And it was a $30,000 reward. All the large fire departments nearby showed up, and they couldn't get closer than 200 yards to the blaze. Then a small volunteer fire department came, and it i mean—it came up with no hesitation, just barreling up, and it... Uh, uh, went pat it came up in this old outdated fire truck and it sped past everybody else and went straight into the blaze in the outskirts of the fire the men jumped out of their outdated fire truck and started beating the fire with blankets these volunteer firefighters threw buckets of water and sand on the fire and they soon were they soon were overwhelmed and had to retreat but this gigantic inferno However, the man who owned the oil well was so impressed with their courage that he that they would go in and fight this fire when no one else would dare go closer than 200 yards. And so he approached the men and he awarded them $30,000 right on the spot. And the chief of the volunteer fire department um, was talking to the oil owner and and he said, and the oil owner said, what are you going to do with the money? And the chief was trembling from the stress of the situation and the crisis and fighting that fire and he said, the first thing we're going to do is put brakes on that truck. (laughs) Okay. So... You know, a lot of times we can go through crises like these firefighters. You know, we go barreling in and we really are not in control. We just look like we're in control. Um, But when Jesus Christ is woken up on the Sea of Galilee and He enters this crisis and the difficulties His disciples face, we see that He is really in complete control. There is no looking like it at all. In verse 39, It says, And Jesus arose, and He rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And He said unto His disciples, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? We need to remember and trust that, God, that the Lord Jesus is in control over our difficulties. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. That He actually is in control. We saw this morning, uh, unless I'm surprised later on today, um, we kind of saw that our meteorologists are really good at tracking weather storms, but they're not really good at controlling them, are they? And sometimes they're really bad at predicting it. Uh, I was kind of wondering if we were going to have a lot more snow than we did. But, um, you know, we we look and we uh, have really good meteorologists sometimes, and sometimes we don't. But we know that these meteorologists, they know how to study weather. They know how to track the patterns, but they they, they cannot control it. But that is not the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't track weather patterns. He actually controls it. And we need to remember what He can do. Here in this passage in verses... uh, In verses uh, 40 and 41, uh, excuse me, 39, Jesus stands up and He shows the power that He has. And He does the unexplainable here. Jesus controls the forces of nature by just speaking the words. Okay? I mean, that's unexplainable. Uh, Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, if you go out there and I'm, I'm like, stop snowing and it stopped, you would be kind of freaked out, wouldn't you? Wouldn't You'd be like, whoa, this is kind of unexplainable. That must be a coincidence. But we see another phenomenal thing that's unexplainable. Also, Jesus stills the waves at once. See, there's one thing to say, alright, peace be still, and it might have been a coincidence that the wind stopped just at that point. But it says in verse 39 that He said, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That means that the waves stop swelling. Usually, if you have a glass of water, you're shaking that around and you just stop. What happens? The water still spins around in there, doesn't it? The same thing happens in the in, the, in a lake or an ocean as well. And But when Jesus says, Peace be still, Placid, right? It is calm. It is not moving at all. Something unexplainable happened that day. He spoke and the forces of nature... Obeyed him. It couldn't be explained. Jesus is the only one that can turn a great storm into a great calm. And you know what? There's no storm that he can't weather. I mean, he stands up in verse 39, and whatever in the difficulty that was terrifying his disciples was no problem for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same is true for you. Whatever storms you may be going through, they're no problem for the Lord Jesus Christ. And He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be your Savior first of all. He wants you to be trusting in Him and putting your confidence in Him. But you have to be willing to trust in Him. Uh, Jesus can strengthen you in your suffering. Some of us are sorrowing. He can comfort us in our sorrowing. And some of us are still not saved and He can deliver and set you free from the power of sin and death. But you have to trust in Him. Second of all, we need to remember not only what he can do, but who he is. And in verses 40 through 41, he reminds his disciples of this very thing. We see that when they're on the Sea of Galilee, that they come to him in verse 38 and, and, and fright and in terror, and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Did you notice that? That word master means teacher. They came to Jesus And they said, teacher, do you not care that we're going to die? And they came to Him in an inferior way. They didn't realize really who He was. I believe that they had put their trust in Him as Messiah, but they didn't realize that He was God yet. I don't know what's going through their mind, but it was a progressive understanding, I believe, in their thinking. And you know, before you criticize the disciples, think about when you accepted Christ as your Savior. When I trusted in Jesus as my savior, I did not understand that I didn't understand between God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And for me to tell you that I do now would be kind of, would be an exaggeration as well. Okay? Um, I didn't understand a lot of those deep theological issues. How can he be God and man? You know, how can he be sinless and be a human being? All these little theological struggles that we preachers and students of the Bible struggle with. You know, the disciples, they were still learning, just like we are. And you know what? Praise God, you don't have to understand everything about the Godhead to be saved. Amen? All you have to understand is that you're a sinner, and that God provided a Savior, and that He was the perfect sacrifice and the perfect Savior to save you from your sins. And you know, sometimes when we're witnessing to people, we try to give them like a... Bible doctrines class before we lead them to Christ, and you don't have to do that. You just have to give them the basics of what the plan, God's plan of salvation is. I'm not discrediting the Bible and doctrine at all, but here we see that their understanding of Christ was somewhat limited. It was somewhat incomplete. Okay, uh, I would say very much incomplete, and they come to Jesus as a religious. And they, as a religious teacher and say, hey, teacher, teacher, why do you not care? Instead of coming to Him and say, Lord, Lord, You're the Son of God. Do something. You know, uh, They don't come to Him in that way at all. And because of that, they were fearful. In verse 40, Jesus rebukes them. He doesn't only rebuke the storm, but He rebukes them and He says, why were you fearful? Why were you cowards? Why were you so terrified? And he says, "Why do you, how is it that you do not have no faith? Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Actually, they do have faith, but they were lacking faith in him. Okay? Uh, I mean, you've got to give them credit. They had faith enough to come to him for help, right? Okay, so they did have faith, but their faith was not in the right object, and their faith was not in Jesus Christ alone. It was in something else. And Jesus calls them on the carpet about it. And they see here in verse 41, they say, what manner of man is this? That even the sea and the winds obey Him. And what they realize is that Jesus is greater than they originally ever thought. That Je- And the truth is, is that He is God. But I still am not convinced that they have learned that yet. I believe they'll learn that in another storm that will come in chapter 6. Okay? But right now they're just like, whoa! I don't understand this guy. Or if you're from California, dude, I don't understand this. This guy is far out, you know. And so uh, And the fact is, is he is God. Only God can con- calm a storm. Psalm 107, verse 29: He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Talking about God. Only God can calm waves. Psalm 33, verse 7. It says, he gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. My point to you here, and I'm glad that you cut the special music and you started early because it's almost 12. Um, Jesus is the master of the deep. Whatever difficulties you may go, be going through, you may um, be going through some difficulties in your own home, in your own personal life, with habits, say your ha- sin habits, so you're having trouble breaking Um Guess what? You can't do that alone. Maybe you have suffered sorrow in your family. Maybe you are struggling with illness. You know what? Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And He has promises in His Word that He wants you to trust in while you're going through those deep waters. He wants you to trust in His care that He is concerned about you. But He knows what this storm is going to bring forth in your life if you trust in Him. And also, He wants you to trust in His control. He is not going to allow any temptation to tempt you that is going to be greater than the grace that He will give. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I wanted to just share this really quick. In verse 13, There hath no temptation or trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer or permit you to be tempted or tried above that you are able, but will with the trial also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Will you trust in Him during these trials of life? Will you go to the Master of the sea? When Jesus is in your life, fear flees and peace is presides. And we need to trust in His commands, His cares and His control, because they're unchangeable. We can't trust in ourselves. We can't trust in our circumstances. We can't trust in someone else because all those things change. But you think about His Word. You think about His love. You think about His sovereignty. Those never do change. They are worthy of your trust and we need to put our confidence in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord, for this illustration for Your disciples here today. Lord, I don't know what kind of difficulties they may be going through, this week, what maybe they've gone through. Lord, um, I know we've had several that have lost loved ones and they're sorrowing and there is peace that uh, You want them to have if they are not having it already. And Lord, we just pray for You to be working in their hearts and lives. We do pray for others that are struggling with illness, uh, with constant sickness and uh, fatigue and conditions that they deal with physically. Lord, I pray that You would uh, strengthen them and give them peace in that way. I pray for the unsaved. that might be under the sound of my voice here in this room or through a recording, and and they just haven't trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. They've trusted in baptism. They've trusted in their works. They've trusted in their church. They've trusted in their mom and dad. They've trusted in their good works and whatever. Uh, But Lord, they don't have the peace that only you can give that um, of, of eternal life. They fear the future. They're not sure about their future and eternity. And I pray that you would work in their hearts and that they would, uh, for once, that they would trust in Jesus as their Savior. Uh, Lord, I don't know the different issues and different difficulties that people are dealing with. Maybe marriages are on the rocks and I don't know about it. Maybe children are rebelling and blaming their parents for this, that, and the other. and And they're... Bringing uh, rebellion and discord to the home. Lord, I do pray that your people would take this message and the truths therein and they would go to you in prayer. They would go to your word. They would go and they would trust you in your care and that they would trust also in your control, that you have a purpose and plan for their life and that they would be determined to find out what your will is in your word. Pray, Lord, for victories in First Baptist Church and those that. Uh, and our friends that have been attending. We pray, Lord, that You would use Your Word mightily in the lives of the listeners here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.